I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. This is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here today with special guest Julia Aziz. Julia is a teacher, counselor, and healer. Today we're going to talk about a wide range of subjects, um, including the postpartum period, but mostly we're going to dive into some really uh, wonderful learnings that she took away from her experience as being a three-time mom. She has a Master's of Science in Social Work. She's a licensed clinical social worker. She is an ordained interfaith minister. She does life coaching. And amazingly, she just wrote this book, Lessons of Labor. And I love the book so much. I'm so excited to have her here and so we can talk about it more. But she went through a process of writing. Um, actually, I mean, I'll let you explain it. But I mean, it's just awesome, right? You wrote immediately after giving birth. And then you translated that years later into lessons about life and motherhood in general. And I just, I'm in love with the the format. <laughs> so it's very unique. But welcome. And we could talk more about that. But can you just give uh, a little introduction about yourself and tell us, like, how did you get where you are? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. In my prior life before children, um, I uh, was a therapist and I worked with a wide range of people, but often with um, parents and children doing either individual or family counseling. Um, and then was a school counselor. And then when I had my first child, the, I couldn't do such emotionally challenging work, um, and also be so exhausted, (laughs) um, emotionally from parenthood. So I kind of stepped away from doing therapy at that point. And instead, um, I was mostly, I was part-time working, um, doing some youth groups and and then also home with my child. And so I had three babies. They're each about two and a half years apart. Um, And I did, after each birth, I wrote the birth story, like that first night, like within 24 hours, mainly because it was all just so dramatic and, you know, it was all just so intense that it was a way, I've always been a journaler. And so it was a way for me to kind of like put it all out there on paper and um, process it. Um, but I didn't start and I had the concept for the book, the idea, even after that first birth, um, because it was so, it was, it was just life changing, just the whole process, just the intensity of the emotional and mental challenges of being in labor, um, really reminded me of a lot of those same challenges being in my life. So anyway, the concept for the book was there, but I didn't have, or I didn't make the space to be actually writing the book until after my last child was born when I realized um, if I don't write this book now, I'm going to lose, like it's all going to be a distant memory. Um, So I started writing on the book in earnest after my last child was born. And yeah, and now at this point, I have various part-time gigs going on. I work at 
um, an acupuncture school. I teach uh, psychology and clinical communications there. And I also do some coaching and lead some meditation groups. And then on my own, I'm doing some dance workshops and CEUs for counselors and social workers coaching. So I'm, I'm really, um, I've found that having the, having babies has been, having children has in some ways made me really need to prioritize where I want to put my energy in my work life um, because of the time constraints of everything. And um, also just having a chance to kind of step away from what I was doing before has given me some good reflection on, you know, who am I? What do I really want to be doing in the world? And um, what meaning can I make out of all of it? You know? Mm -hmm. And the book is a fabulous way to summarize so much of all of that. Yeah, I felt like it really helped me to, to, to process everything that had happened. Partly I wrote it because I felt, um, I, I hoped that it would help some woman somewhere, you know, like I, I had met women along the way, both through counseling and just friends or colleagues, and just felt like some of those experiences, some of the anxiety, some of the, um, just all the, the growth, all the change that happens to a woman as she becomes a mother, um, a lot of it seemed to have commonalities for other women. And so I, I was writing it thinking, especially actually of postpartum women, um, because it's especially with your first it's it's such a huge change in identity and and where you spend your time and your energy and who you know how you feel good about yourself and how you judge yourself you know all of it comes up and so i i hoped it would resonate with other women and it also helped me to kind of process what i had been through over those years of you know being pregnant and nursing and just all of that was kind of a decade for me yeah yeah, and it is such a process and a life-changing experience just going through um, the becoming a parent for the first time and then probably again. Um, I have one child, so I can speak to the former. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we had another guest, Riza Tanner, on our show, um, and she touched on some interesting points kind of along the lines of, well, you know, people go through these cycles of um, becoming new again and sort of relating that to sort of, you know, when a child is developing and they're learning something new, sometimes they sort of stop and regress a little bit. And that's the time when they're learning something new or processing something new and then come out the other side stronger and more capable. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how that process kind of never really ends. And, you know, it's it's commonly acknowledged in childhood, but not so much in adulthood. But it's interesting to to see it happen, especially like if you were to think about, well, what is, what does it mean to become a parent or, or a second time parent or third time? It's like sort of going through these things again and and relearning or becoming more capable each time. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it because, you know, we look at the development of a child and, but there's also a development of the, the mother or the parent. You have a lot of amazing stories in your book and First of all, congratulations on having the foresight to sit down and write about your experiences because reading through it, it was very raw. Your, mm-hmm. A lot of it reminded me of some moments that I had, thoughts or feelings that I had kind of Im- more immediately after having birth. Mm-hmm. And I know that as time ticks along, those memories become more and more distant. And so well done for capturing that and having the wherewithal <laughs> to actually sit down with a pencil and, and get it all down. Well, I couldn't sleep. I mean, I, I'm just somebody in general who I've insomnia has kind of plagued me my whole life. Um, so I, I'll tend to 
to not sleep if something exciting and if even if I'm just like excited about something thinking about something I won't sleep so going through childbirth was exciting enough that I after every baby I didn't sleep at all even if the baby was sleeping in that first night so (laughs) it was a way for me to like get all that running thought through my head um, out but yeah if I hadn't written it all then I wouldn't have been able to remember that level of detail there's some amazing little passages in the book. Um, I really like the one talking about the passage of time. Mm-hmm. By the way, the format of your book reminds me a little bit of, and I'm, this, I mean, this is in no way a religious podcast, but but it reminded me of sort of growing up doing like daily, like little Bible studies. Mm-hmm. There's almost like a passage and then a little lesson in bold. Uh-huh. And then underneath that sort of a, an interpretation or like a practical application of, of what that could mean. Because it, it's very short, like each, each uh, chapter is only like, three, four pages. But yeah, but talk to me about the passage of time. The the part that struck me was this idea that we're, oh, we're always waiting until the next thing. Like, when is my baby going to eat solids? When is yeah. my baby going to take their first step? And then when is the next thing? And when is the next thing? And so long as we're looking into the future, we're not, we're not in the present. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I have said and hear, hear that so often, you know, it's like, well, once, once she goes to preschool, then I'll be able to you know, I don't know, make the time to take yoga classes or something like that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. once, once this happens, then everything will be okay. Or, or just feeling like we're, we're waiting for the, oh, there's always something kind of left undone as if we're someday going to arrive at this place where all is well and permanently. So, and I think that the, what I've found in life in general, but certainly parenthood has um, cracked that open is really the only place for feeling truly at peace and everything's really okay is right, right now in this exact moment. And then in this next moment, I mean, there's just, there's always going to be things undone or things that aren't yet learned or, you know, life is messy. Um, But if usually in, in any particular moment, if we become, you know, fully present to that, just like in the body, here I am, it's actually okay. As you highlighted, there's a saying that the days are long, but the years are short. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where does that baby time go? I mean, my baby's almost one. And so it's just, I can totally relate to that. It was like my longest, shortest year. I think there's even another podcast called that. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's, amazing how quickly the time goes and you turn around and you realize, wow, but like every day felt so long. Yeah, it's the longest (laughs) days ever. Well, you're not sleeping. So you're awake for so much more of time. So that makes it feel longer too. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I also, I've never liked when uh, that can become a pressure, you know, like you should enjoy every moment. I think a lot of people like to say that to new moms, you know, they'll say it goes so fast, you should enjoy every moment. And it can be something that women use against themselves. Like, I'm not enjoying this moment. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I I know, you know, it's like, we know that it's so precious. And yet it's, it's, um, it can feel so exhausting or or monotonous, you know, with with little babies or, and then there's so much emotion and, you know, hormones, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's important not to get too far ahead of yourself, you know, because it's all going to happen, you know, everything, it's all, it feels like it's not, it feels like things will never change. Um, But babies, especially, or a pregnancy or whatever, you know, it's like, you just see it really does. It doesn't on like minute to minute. It doesn't when you're just like, 
you just really want to take a nap and the baby won't fall asleep. You know, it feels like it'll never happen. But, um, you know, it's, that's why it's, I, I feel like that, you know, new motherhood, especially it just brings you so much into like, you can really only know what's happening right now and you have no idea what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And being caught in the perpetual state of waiting, mm-hmm. that could, anyone can fall into that trap. That doesn't have to be parenthood related at all. It could be mm-hmm. that whatever is next. But, but yeah, I take your point about just feeling the pressure of ha- of feeling like, oh, I'm obligated or, I mean, that's just something in general that um, I think a lot of women and parents put themselves through of beating themselves up for not doing X, Y, or Z, right? Like if I could only follow these instructions and mm-hmm. it would work. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think you even talked about that a little bit, like, oh, if uh, it was related to sleep, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, if I recall. And it was, you were talking about how, oh, if I could only just follow my friend's instructions, I would, and if I could do it right, then it would work. Right, right. Yeah, that it was by my third baby, I had realized that none of it mattered. <laughs> and uh, there was no point in worrying about anyone's advice or reading any books. I mean, that's kind of a theme that goes throughout the book and throughout my larger learning journey into parenthood is just that all of that, there's, there's so many well-meaning advice books or advice givers, you know, who have like really good things to offer based on their own experiences or based on research or their work, you know, there's, there's commonalities amongst babies and mothers. And, you know, this is useful information, but um, depending on who's receiving it, you know, and if you're someone like me who takes things in a little bit too seriously, um, it can just be used as something to compare yourself against, you know, like, oh, well, you know, my friend said all she had to do was like, lie the baby in the crib and pat him. And then he fell asleep. And what am I doing wrong? You know, and it's just like, you're comparing apples and oranges, like those are two different babies, and you're two different mothers, and you have different households. And you know, I mean, it's just, um, it doesn't help to compare ourselves against these standards. And no one told that baby that was born, like, you're supposed to follow the rules in this book of what they say is supposed to happen, you know, and so I feel like, um, for me, what, what eventually happened was realizing it was, you know, it's good. It was good for me to be informed and know what other people were doing, but I really had to trust that I did know my baby better than anyone else. And not only did I know my baby, but I knew myself, you know, because if, if you can't do the thing, like if that's not going to work for you, then it's not going to work. Like just, that's it. You don't have to, (laughs) there doesn't have to be any justification for it. You know, like, like something like sleep training, you know, if you, you know, like if someone cries it out and that works well for their baby, but for you, you just can't do it. Like it's just too painful for you. Then that's just not the right strategy, you know, or, or, you know, vice versa. It's like, I've also seen pressure on women, like they should be co-sleeping and that's how it's going to work best right after the baby's born. And then, but they are too, afraid they're going to roll over on the baby. Okay, well, then close sleeping is not in your options, you know, and it's just being able to kind of respect yourself and um, just do what works. Like, that's my main feeling is like, do what works for you and your baby, you know, and it's okay if it doesn't fit exactly what other people are saying to do. And whatever is going on, whatever challenge, it's, it's eventually going to change anyway, like whether I did all those crazy things to try to get my baby to sleep. Like eventually, like he's 10 now, now he sleeps, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just feels like a long time because it's so exhausting. Yeah. Can you tell that story? 
Oh, yeah. Well, my first baby, I think maybe partly how I even ended up writing this book, my first baby was the most challenging. Um, and as a toddler, he was as well. But he was very wakeful. He would um, be up all the time in the middle of the night. And we finally got him to sleep through the night, but he started waking up at four in the morning. And that was like the beginning of the day. He was super active. So he would just just take off, like crawling over the house, pulling things out of cabinets. Just He was one of those babies that's just like everywhere. And uh, so it was exhausting for me to wake up at four and have to actually like be on and, you know, supervising him. So I really wanted him to sleep later. And I was, you know, reading books. And I have a friend who's a um, sleep specialist doctor and was trying all kinds of things. And I was making myself miserable with it. Um, and about it took about a month or so. And he started sleeping till five or 530, which was at least somewhat more reasonable. Um, and eventually that shifted to six. But the the chapter where I'm writing about it is basically my just kind of coming into an acceptance of like, just because those strategies didn't work, you know, or didn't work right away, it doesn't mean anything's wrong. It's just like, this was this baby's experience. You know, this is what, this was a process that it took him and me, you know, and what I was doing to respond, but it wasn't like I was wrong or I was doing something wrong. And that's why it was happening. This just like being able to see it as this just is where you're at, where you're both at, at this time. And, um, whether you do crazy interventions or nothing, eventually it'll, it'll shift. And having, I think that I wasn't able to see that at the time, but in the future, you know, being able to see that sometimes it's about just being patient and being compassionate towards yourself in those times, like just doing what you have to do to, to go through those days. So tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to feel emotional, to feel exhausted, and then to have this pressure of the advice. I mean, it, it can cause a, a feeling of failure, I think, among some people. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think there's so much of that comparison to, you know, like I remember I would talk to, I had some friends who had babies around the same time and it was like their babies always would go back to sleep till seven or something, you know? And I was like, <laughs> what is it about me? Like, it must be something I'm doing, you know? And it's, it you know after I had other baby my second baby he was a sleeper, and I I was like oh this is a completely different situation like if some some babies and some people you know just sleep more easily, and uh, I just took it all personally as if it was me instead of that you know this was how he was wired. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What are some of your favorite stories from your book? I mean, I would say like the birth of my daughter, who's my youngest, uh, was such a, such an empowering experience because I, I was actually just talking about it recently. I, I had the great opportunity to see a good friend this week, um, in labor and I missed the actual birth, but I got to hold her baby when she was just six hours old. And it was really, um, it, it brought me, you know, back to that place again. And, um, and just remembering, that birth and how uh, I just didn't resist it, that labor in the way that I did with the first and for part of the, the second one I had, um, that it, it was really an experience of, of seeing how different pain can feel based on my, my attitude towards it, you know, and I just, I actually experienced less pain in that birth than with the other ones, because I wasn't, that's, I wasn't focused on it. And, um, 
And I think that was so true too of the postpartum period with her. Um, and part of it might've been that I knew I did not want to have any more babies. So it was like, I had this feeling of like, okay, like this is the last time I'm going to go through this. So it's okay. You know, like I knew, I knew it would pass. I'd already been through it twice before, but, um, but it was also a sense of, you know, no matter how difficult something is that it will pass. And, um, that's a really good thing for me to remember in, in all kinds of situations. What do you mean by less pain because you weren't focused on it? Um, well, she came, I had a very like slow early labor with her that lasted from five in the morning till 10 at night. But then it was like a half an hour and she was born. So I had a, I had a very fast active labor with her, which I think normally is, is super painful when it goes that fast. But I, for one thing, my midwife wasn't, hadn't arrived yet. And so I was on my own. And I think that my focus was, I wanted the midwife to get there before I gave birth to the baby. Like that was important to me that she was there. And so I wasn't thinking about how painful this is. I was just focused on like talking to the baby inside me and saying like, just hold on until she gets here. And I was just like breathing and trying to get myself ready. Um, so, so it was very different than when, you know, in another, in the other situations when I was already somewhere sort of like safe and everything was where it needed to be. And then it was just like, Oh, this hurts so much, you know, and mm -hmm. getting into, I wasn't, I had a more important concern at the time, <laughs> um, which was, you know, the, I felt like for the safety of the baby, I really wanted, I, my husband was like, all right, we've done it before. Let me, I can catch the baby. And I was like, no, I want the midwife here. Um, so there was that, but even before that, I wasn't, I don't know. I was, I was like sort of spelling during contractions. I was spelling out words like trust and open. And I, I mainly was, I, I think, you know, I, this would have never happened the first time around, but because it was the third time and I, Felt, and I still hope that it was my last time giving birth. I had a, I just was really curious about like how, how might it, what if I didn't have the expectation of it being so much suffering? You know, like what if instead I thought maybe I don't have to suffer through this? And so I kind of approached the labor like that. And I approached that postpartum period like that as well. Just what if I, um, what if this is something I could actually enjoy? I mean, that sounds kind of crazy, but um, I actually felt less pain. Mm. Mm. I mean, sometimes people say that their first birth is more painful and difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and so do you think that was part of it as well? Yeah. I mean, I think there's also a level of, um, you know, that my body had been through it before. So there's probably less resistance. But I, I do, I mean, I felt that even in the first labor, there was a difference when I was feeling scared or um, fighting the pain. Like I would get into this resistance with it. Like I wanted to get on top of it and control it and kind of be prepared for each contraction and be able to like muscle my way through it. And, um, and then in the few times when I was able to truly just breathe and, and mostly I think rest in between the contractions, I felt less pain. I, I feel like that was a big thing that I learned um, with the second one was that, you know, in between contractions, it's actually calm, like nothing's going on for that moment. 
And, um, and that's one of the chapters is about that as well. Cause that's, I feel like also a metaphor for what happens um, in our lives in general, but in our lives as parents, it's like, <clears throat> it's easy to tell a story of, um, I don't know how difficult something is, or, you know, like my baby won't eat or, you know, whatever's going on, but in between, like, there's always flux in these things. So there's always moments where everything's okay, even in a difficult time. So really trying to, like, appreciate to receive those moments where everything's okay, especially in a difficult time. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, what's a what's an example of that? Well, that it just made me think about grieving. I was doing some hospice work last year. And just thinking about how this comes up in grieving, it's like you can lose someone you love and be just in turmoil over it and so much loss and waves of anger and sadness and um, all kinds of different emotions. And then there can be periods where you're actually not thinking about it and you're just like going about making your breakfast as you normally do, or maybe you laugh at a joke someone says and it and can surprise you you know, it's like, Oh, wait, what's going on? I'm, I'm grieving right now, you know, and it's, but there actually are moments where there's rest, just like with contractions, like I like labor contractions. I've talked to some friends about this, like can be if you're going through a difficult passage in life, um, making some kind of difficult change in life, whether it's a change in relationship or job or, you know, moving or anything like that, you know, there's like a contraction of like, this is so difficult. Everything is like, all up there at once, you know, but then there's also some period where there's just, even if it's brief, just everything's okay for a moment, mm-hmm. you know, and like to actually receive that instead of like preparing ourselves for that next one, you know, just getting all armored up again for everything else that needs to happen. Like this time of year too, you know, it can be such a busy time of year. Um, and I find like, it can feel like it's one thing after another and scheduling this and that and that, you know, but then, then I might get surprised by like my family left a few minutes early today. It's like, Oh, I have 10 minutes. Can I just enjoy 10 minutes? Can I sit outside? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like instead of getting all planned and like ready for the next thing. Yeah. I really like that. Getting ready for the next thing is definitely something that is, it's like hard. It's like hard not to do. It's really hard Mm -hmm. not to do that. Like what's, what's a way to enjoy those 10 minutes? Or like, like instead of feeling guilty, like oh, I'm meant to be grieving right now. I shouldn't yeah. be. Re- I shouldn't be enjoying this. Or like, I want to be a martyr. I want to. I'm gonna not allow myself to enjoy it. Um, what, what's a way to open up and allow oneself to do that? Yeah, I think that that's um, so important to have that kind of compassion for ourselves. Think of this sometimes if you're feeling really needy, like I need more time, or I need some love or I need, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's like, nothing's enough. Like you might be like, I need more time for myself, for instance. Right. Which is something that, um, moms often feel, you know, that they don't have enough of that, but then maybe they're offered some, right. <laughs> like by a partner or I don't know, a grandmother or something like that. And it still feels like not enough. Like when they get back, they still feel exhausted and stressed and things like that, you know? And, um, And so I've been thinking about like, how do you actually receive that time? Like really let it in, like let it refresh and renew you and let it be enough. And I think part of that is just giving, giving ourselves permission. You know, it's like, no, this time is for that, you know, like this is, there's nothing else I need to do. Like 
life will go on. There's the to-do list is never ending. It will never end. Like we're alive. So there's always going to be more things for us to do. <laughs> so it's, um, I think just so important to, to when we have the space, like make it, make it worthy, you know, like instead of saying, okay, I've got 10 minutes until I have to go pick this person up or whatever. It's like, Oh, I have 10 minutes. You know, it's a beautiful day. And really, and really like breathing, you know, I think is one of the simplest. It's like everyone says it and it's an easy thing to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, just do some deep breathing. But then it's hard to actually do it in your life, you know, but it's it's the simplest way to get more grounded and um, be fully in the moment is to just take some deep breaths, which like just ground down, just like here I am I'm in the body. It's all okay. Should we put that on the to-do list? <laughs> Not if it's going to cause anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so what is what would be a good like 10-minute practice? So I, I like this idea of breathing, but like w- walk us through like what would you recommend for someone? I would say it, that would depend on what brings you joy. You know, I would, I think for everyone that's a little different. And so for somebody you know, like journaling could bring them joy. And for someone else that would feel like a chore, like something they should do in some kind of self-improvement effort, you know? Um, So for me, for instance, dancing is something that is one of my purest joys. Like I just feel most myself when I'm dancing. And so I've recently made a commitment, like at least once a week, go out somewhere publicly and be dancing, you know? And and now I've started teaching some therapeutic dance workshops and integrating it into my work. But, you know, for 10 minutes, if, if that's something that brings you joy, it's like pick a song every day, you know, and dance for five minutes to, to a song that you love, you know, or if it's, you know, sitting outside and having a cup of tea and sitting on the back porch, you know, I think it, it's like whatever, whatever really lets you feel feel peaceful, feel like it's just about you, (laughs) you know, it's like all yours, this private moment um, where you can feel like yourself and you can relax, you know, just like making the the space for that. You know, a meditation practice can be really helpful, but it doesn't have to be something formal like that. It can be just taking a walk around the block, but just doing that purposely saying like, I'm doing this for myself. That makes a difference. Mm Mm-hmm. Another thing you touched on was the importance of being aware uh, and compassion for yourself, but aware of the intensity of the emotions during the postpartum period. Yeah. Do you think that would also kind of help someone like feel like they're okay to, to enjoy that time? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to know that there's a lot of emotions in the postpartum period so that, so that you don't blame yourself for not feeling happy all the time, you know? Um, because uh, for one thing, there's a lot of hormones going on, you know, after giving birth. So there's all kinds of fluctuations. Um, and then there's such a huge change. I mean, especially with your first baby, you went from, you know, feeling like going out and getting a breakfast taco to having to, you know, like plan that out for two hours, depending <laughs> on your baby when they're ready to, I don't know. You know, it's, it takes a while to get used to how to just like grab the baby and go, 
you know, and I think that usually after a few months, women figure that out. But with the first one, it can be very challenging to figure out how to leave the house, like what do you need to take with you? Um, so that you feel like you have, you know, it's, it can be really difficult. And so, yeah, I think that there's immense love that can be in that postpartum period. There can be anger, whether that's at yourself or your spouse or your mom or, you know, your in-laws, whoever, right. (laughs) There can be, um, fear, you know, great amount of fear. I remember the, with my first baby, the first time I left the house, like left him, I was having, um, I needed to go get checked um by the doctor and left the baby I think with my mom and I it was so difficult for me to leave the house like to feel that far away from the baby felt really scary to me you know I felt like his whole survival was dependent on being close to me and even though rationally I knew that even if I was killed in a car accident that the baby could survive you know someone would feed him and he would be okay um I felt at some primal level, like that I was necessary in this way I had never been before. And that was really overwhelming to feel that way. And I think um, just having that be, no one really had talked to me about that or it made me feel a little crazy, (laughs) you know? And I think that there's all, we talk about postpartum depression and there's a whole range, you know, there's postpartum anxiety, there's, um, there's a whole range of things that can happen and it's, it's part of, it's part of that adjustment. Mm-hmm. And as you say, like with your, the birth of your third child that you really focused on maybe joy, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like postpartum mm-hmm. joy is for sure an option. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, it can also be like, because with her, I wasn't having that kind of anxiety. I was in real gratitude because it, I knew this was my last time, you know? And so, yeah, I was really able to enjoy her in this different way of like actually enjoying being forced to slow down, you know, like mm-hmm. having to kind of like lie down a lot and having her be on my chest and just that, um, that specialness of the, I mean, now I love being around newborns. Like they're my favorite baby age. Once they get a little older, I don't, I don't pay them as much attention, but like <laughs> when they're so little like that, they're creatures, you know, they're like barely, human in a certain way. And, um, there's something really magical about getting to be near them. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a peacefulness and, and just, it's so, um, so animal that, uh, I was really able to enjoy that with her and enjoy like her brother's interactions with her and, and just the, that all of the lack of sleep and needing to feed the baby, like realizing like that will, end and I won't be so tethered in that way. And so it was like, oh, this is a time in my life where uh, this is all I need to be like, this is the most important thing is to do this. And so I'm going to just enjoy it knowing that I will get all busy and running around again some other day with mm-hmm. plenty of time. I think the final story I would love to hear again from you, just I'm having read through it was just this, you had a chapter about self-care and about asking for help. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I remember being in labor and I didn't want to sort of disturb the doula before it was necessary. Um, I felt like I should be, you know, far enough along in labor before asking for that help because I didn't want her to come over and then it would end up being so long or, you know, I was not wanting to put anyone out, you know, which um, I feel like is, is pretty common, especially amongst women that we can often 
be willing to help a lot of people, but it's harder to receive it. No, no, I can do that myself or um, I don't want to trouble anyone or, you know, make it inconvenient. And, but I really, it's like once I asked for her to come over, my labor really got going because that's what I needed for, to feel safe. You know, like I just felt so much better when she was there. It, it just made me relax in a way that I kept kind of waiting beforehand. Um, and that's a lot of what I've noticed is, I mean, the idea that we should be able to do this all on our own is crazy. You know, like that's not how we, how humans came into the world. Like there's always been a tribe, you know, that people, we need each other and that's, that's not only normal, it's natural and good. Um, and, and people want to be a part of that. You know, we, we all want to be supported and to support each other. And so, um, one of my dear friends, when I, right before I gave birth the second time, said to me something along the lines of if someone offers you just say yes <laughs> just accept it don't say like no I don't need that or you know what I mean don't don't just say oh thank you so much for offering but we'll be okay just just say yes and it was very good advice especially for having a second baby because there's a lot that has to be done with if, especially if you have a toddler or, you know a kind of an active kid that needs something very different than your brand newborn baby and you <laughs> so I mean I think one thing is is food, for instance, you know, um, for all of my friends that have had babies in the past decade or so, like we always will set up a food chain, you know, where people bring food every other day or so. Um, for, you know, I remember mine was maybe two or three months. We were given meals for two or three months, wow. you know, and that was amazing. And it not only fed us at a time when it was really hard to kind of get it together to do the shopping and the cooking, but it also made me feel not so alone. You know, it's just like these people. I mean, some of the people who brought food were people I, I didn't even know very well. They would be like a mom at the preschool or, you know, an acquaintance from work. But these people would say, I want to help. How can I help you? And instead of just saying, oh, don't worry about it. We're fine. I learned to say, well, this friend is setting up a food chain. If you, you know, I can give her your email if you want. And then they would do it and they would bring food and they wanted to do that. And it felt so good, you know, like even some of these people I, I don't ever even see anymore, but I still remember them doing that. And it just, it gave me a sense of like that my child was coming into a world where I was part of a, we were part of a community, you know, and that, that people really do want to, do that, especially if they themselves were isolated or were, or were well cared for. You know, they want to pay that forward. Yeah. There, what? Why is that? It's so true. I've experienced something similar with both receiving and giving meals um, for in a postpartum period. You know, it feels really good to show up at a door with a hot home cooked meal mm -hmm. and say, "Here you go, enjoy." I'm not even going to come in, and I know you. I know what yeah. it's like, um, and just to see the gratitude on someone's face, and um, it feels fantastic to both give and receive in those scenarios. And it's such a um, like a primal gesture. It's almost like a, a throwback to village life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and we we are we are like desperately in need of that in this culture. You know, we really need to. To feel that and I think it's it's there it's just um, we can be so tentative about about asking for it or offering it and it just reminds me I was talking to my neighbor who just had her second baby who's I think seven weeks old now and her husband's um, gonna be out of town for 10 days and she doesn't have any family here and I was like well let me uh, let's get a food train for you so you can you know get dinners for those 10 days 
and because uh, she has a, a toddler as well and she's like well I don't know I mean it's I've you know it's I had the baby seven weeks ago <laughs> it's like you know part of it is that it's hard it would be hard for her to go and ask her friends hey can you bring me dinner you know that's really difficult but I'm like well I don't mind asking for that for you you know so just let me do that asking and just give me their addresses you know and I'll say hey she's going to be on her own if anyone wants to bring a meal by like here's a calendar there's no pressure nobody feels like you know obligated but you're giving people a chance to to help out you know and and then the people that do it really want to and then you can receive it you know and it's it's actually a beautiful thing it doesn't have to be um there's nothing you know what I was saying like there's nothing weak about you or like you can't handle it all on your own why why would you want to <laughs> you know like yeah, no. if, <laughs> You know, it's like, we don't have to, we're not trying to be superheroes here. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's um, better to feel connected and supported. And you're going to do that for other people, too. Yeah, there's such a deep pressure to be self-sufficient. There really is. There really is. And I think that that is um, a real disservice to, to new moms, especially, you know, because it's, it's just not, it's just not possible, not in a healthy way you know it's it's really we need we need more than you know just our partners or just you know our immediate family in terms of um help and support everyone offers something different so it's it's a and it's so good for our kids too I think you know to you know as they get older to be able to trust other people and to to see you know like my kids love it when they they'll see me like cooking an extra meal and they'll say like, Oh, are you bringing that to the, this, you know, friend who has a baby, you know, like they, they know that that's part of what we do. You bring people food when they have babies, you know? And, um, I think that's good for them to see too. Absolutely. They get to see the generosity and they get to feel the experience of being part of that contribution, um, as part of the family. Yeah. And I always tell them, you know, I, I, I was so, I mean, I have so many people brought us food, you know, like I was so well fed for so long and that was amazing. And, and I could have said like, you know, there was a part of me that felt like, Oh, should people really still be bringing me dinner when the baby's two months old, you know, but, but if they were willing to do it and I was still having trouble, you know, there's an adjustment to how do you, like, you know, the roles change, you know, it's like, I do all the grocery shopping, and I do all the cooking. But then if I'm lying in bed, you know, recovering from something from the birth, and then, then my husband's doing that, plus all the other stuff he's doing, you know, it's just, it takes a while to figure out how all those things are going to happen. And so I, I think the more help, the better. Yeah. And like a meal wheel sign up is the kind of thing that could be um, orchestrated like around the time of the baby shower, even like everyone's together. You could just have mm-hmm. a little sign up sheet and, and it's hard to be the asker. Right. <laughs> you could always nominate a friend to say, oh, can you be in charge of this? <laughs> yeah. And if, I mean, I think if you are a friend of someone, it's great to offer that. And it really doesn't, it's so easy now these days. Like there's so many, I can't even keep track of them. I don't know. Care calendar is one of them I've used, but as long as you have people's email addresses, you just set the calendar up and you send it out and then it takes care of itself. So yeah, I think if you can have a friend ask people for you, then it's easy. You know, I was saying um, to somebody who had a newborn and they were like, well, I don't know if I want to have to socialize with people every time they bring food. And I was like, oh, well, you just tell them they can leave it and you'll visit another time. And she's like, well, I don't know how to do that. 
I'm like, well, I'll just say it for you on the thing, you know, like as yeah. the, as the friend, you can say things in a nice way, but you know, like, Oh, mama's still recovering. Um, and was really looking forward to seeing friends soon, but right now let's just get them fed and then she'll let you know when she's ready to be out in the world, you know? And it's just, it doesn't, it's, there's nothing negative about that. It's just, that's more another way that you're supporting her is by not overwhelming her, you know, if that's not what she wants, if she wants to just be resting and, and quiet for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one wants the pressure of entertaining on top of all these adjustments. No, I think it, and it so varies. It's been really interesting watching my friend, the one who just gave birth this week. She's super extroverted and her house is just filled with people. Like there's a constant influx of new people and their kids coming, you know, like everyone's holding the baby and passing it around. And I mean, that was like the first day, you know, and uh, whereas I like, I didn't want to see anyone with the first one, like at all. (laughs) Like I didn't want to interact for a very long time. It took me um, weeks to, to like purposely leave the house for anything other than like a pediatrician visit. Um, And I don't know that that was necessarily good or bad, you know, uh, but I think it's just important to respect what you're needing, you know, and to, to honor that another woman and not put pressure on it going one way or another. I mean, you can also call and talk, you know, sometimes people are more open to having a phone conversation or texting or something like that if they're not ready to have visitors yet. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your stories with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in finding out more information about you, Julia, they can go to your website, which is juliaaziz.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can also look at the fourth trimester podcast website. You can Google fourth trimester podcast and find our site. And we'll be linking some more information about Julia there. So thank you so much, Julia. Thank you, Sarah. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Bye for now. Hello again, bicycle man. I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. your gears you ride around town without any fear you got your pedals you got your brakes you always wear your helmet for safety's sake
bicycle man I know you're doing the best that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I sing a song for you